Welcome to the All-American Chapel Protestant Service Podcast. This week's sermon will be given by Chaplain Tim Wilson. Our scripture reading, if you have your bulletin, you'll see it comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. That's found on page 1686 in your pew Bibles. That again, John 20, verses 30 through 31. The gospel reads, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Team, thank you so much for leading us in, leading us in worship this morning. As our kids are, are, are heading out, I think one of the greatest sounds is when our kids are singing. Um, I don't know who it was that was singing during during the our our time of, of praise this morning, but I could hear kids singing, and they were singing at the top of their lungs. They didn't care who was listening; they were singing to Jesus, and I was like, "Wow, number one, they sound pretty good." But number two, I wish that I had that courage to just belt it out like that and not care if anyone's listening because I have an audience of one when I'm singing those songs. Not singing to you guys. They weren't singing to me. You're not singing to me. We're not singing to the praise team. We're singing to Christ. And so as our kids are heading out to to Children's Church, I think so grateful um, for them and for whoever that, that kid was singing today. Thank you for leading me in worship this morning. I appreciated that. Well, folks, I think I know most of you, but we have a lot of new faces here at All-American Chapel. Um, My name is Tim Wilson. I'm one of the pastors here at All-American Chapel. And I have been given the ominous task of being the closer. What in the world does that mean? Well, a closer is someone who is supposed to be skilled in bringing an operation like a business transaction, or as we're soon about to see as we head into the month of October, a baseball game, or in this case, a sermon series to a satisfactory conclusion. Now, you guys and gals will be the the judge this morning whether I'm skilled at this. I think it just happened that I I fell on the calendar to, to preach this Sunday. So, to be determined whether I'm a skilled closer. But my prayer this morning is that the Holy Spirit will bring this sermon series on the Gospel of John to a satisfactory conclusion. So what does that look like? A satisfactory conclusion for us today will be if you leave this chapel service this morning understanding that the end of the story is Christ and all of His glory. In fact... I'm going to weigh this in the favor of me succeeding on this task by asking you to repeat after me that phrase. The end of the story. You're worrying me a little bit on that one. Come on now, I'm supposed to be a skilled closer on this. This is what I need you to know when you leave the chapel this morning. The end of the story story. is Christ in all of his glory. 
Turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John. Chapter 20. John 20. Now before we read, very quickly, let's summarize what we've been studying. Get this. For the past three months, we've been going through the Gospel of John for three months. And in these three months, we've seen that the theme of John's Gospel is that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah, the Son of God. And for seven weeks, we saw how John relies on signs. Oh, it's not up there. I thought it said signs. My bad. How he relied on signs or miracles to point to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. Towards the end of the gospel, we see where Jesus is teaching his disciples and telling them his true identity. And then we see his true identity in his death, in his burial, and as we're going to see today, in his resurrection. But ladies and gentlemen, that's not the end of the story. Look with me in John 20, beginning in verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Question, who's Mary Magdalene? Joe's answering, he's, he's just, he's bold, look at that. That was, that was just a question for everybody, but thank you, Joe, that's awesome. He knows. Well, first time I read that passage of Scripture on Mary Magdalene, I'm thinking, who's Mary? I guess she's from the, the, the family of the Magdalene's. Um, and that must be her last name, but no. As I started studying this passage of Scripture, I come to find out that Mary is from this town called Magdala. And this term Magdalene is from how you describe someone from this town. It's on the coast of the Sea of Galilee, and Magdala was known for, for two things. They were boat builders. Makes sense, since they live on the coast. But they also processed fish. They would salt it and get it ready and ship it out all throughout the region. And so Mary is from this town called Magdala. We're first introduced to this lady in Luke chapter 8. Luke tells us three things about Mary. Number one, she's a lady who has money. She's a lady of means. In fact, out of her resources and the resources of other women, I think two other women, they were financially supporting the disciples. So I'm just guessing she probably had stock in one of those fish processing plants, or maybe her family was building boats, I don't know. But she had some money, and she was using that to support the disciples. Number two, Mary Magdalene, at one time in her life, was possessed by seven demons. That's a really bad existence. I've never been possessed by demons, but I've heard it, it's, it's a bad way to live. Seven demons. And we're not told in the scripture how these demon, demons manifested themselves. Um, ministers and theologians throughout the centuries have tried to figure out what was going on and how did these demons manifest themselves in this woman's life. Um, one of the popes said that he believed that the seven deadly sins was the outcome of her um, possession by seven demons. Some theologians have said that because of this demon possession, Mary, and because of the time that she grew up in, she was probably having to live as a prostitute. We don't know what the manifestation of this demon, these demons were in her life. But we know 
that she was struggling with this. And then number three, Luke 8 tells us that Jesus set her free from that demonic possession. He set her soul free. And from that point forward, she was following Jesus. Fast forward to John chapter 20. She has seen her deliverer die on a cross, be buried in a tomb. And this is day three. And she's going to the grave in order to honor this man who's fallen. She thinks this is the end of the story. And if we were to keep reading in John chapter 20, we would see that the stone at this grave had been rolled away. This large stone that was designed to keep the body in and animals and grave robbers out had been rolled away. And she looks inside, Jesus' body's not there. In a panic, the scripture says that she ran to tell the disciples that the body was gone. Someone stole the body of Jesus. Peter and John take off running. They go to the grave and they look inside and there's overwhelming evidence that the body has not been stolen. The grave clothes are lying there. Grave robbers don't take the time to unwrap a dead body to take the body out of the grave. Especially graves that are guarded by Roman soldiers. One of the other gospels tells us about that. And so Peter and John see this overwhelming evidence that the body was not stolen, but they don't know what's happened. And so they leave the grave. Skip down to verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Let's stop there. Peter and John have left the tomb, but Mary stays. And Mary cries. In fact, a literal interpretation of this phrase is a constant, unrestrained sobbing. She's crying so much that she doesn't recognize that she's in the presence of two angels. That is some serious crying. In fact, the Bible doesn't tell us who these angels are, but we can kind of guess. Gabriel, probably Michael. In fact, I want to invite you to do something. Turn and look up there. We have an actual photo of Michael. Don't know if that's what he was wearing at the tomb, but that's an actual photo of Michael. No, I'm just joking. But that is a caricature of Michael. Two angels at the tomb She doesn't even recognize that they're angels. She's crying so much. Even more, she's in the presence of the resurrected Jesus and she doesn't even recognize him. Constant, 
uncontrolled sobbing. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in such pain that you couldn't even recognize the presence of God himself? You feel like your world is falling apart and nothing's working and you're hurting so bad that you can't even recognize that you are in the presence of Christ himself. It could be something that's going on with your job. You are not in the place where you want to be and you're struggling. You're in pain. God, where are you during the midst of this struggle? A relationship that's very important to you. Maybe even your marriage. It's coming to an end. This is not what you wanted. This is not the plan for your life. Where are you, God, in the midst of this struggle? Something could be going on with your kids. That's one of the most painful times in any parent's life is when your kids are struggling. You feel like your world is falling apart and the pain is so great that you can't see God. Where are you? You can't hear God. I can't see God. I don't know where he's at. I feel like I'm all alone during the midst of this pain. That's what was going on with Mary Magdalene. She's at the tomb. Jesus is standing right in front of her, and she doesn't even recognize him. That's how great her pain is. Ladies and gentlemen, this morning, my prayer for you is that you'll recognize that no matter what you're going through right now, no matter what the painful circumstance is, this is not the end of your story. Just like it wasn't the end of the story for Mary. Let's keep, read, let's keep reading. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher, or literally my teacher. So here's Mary Magdalene, a true disciple of Jesus, and she hears her name. From Christ. One of the last times she heard Jesus mentioning her name was during that time when he freed her from the demonic possession. This is the one who had taught her about the kingdom of God. This is the one that she had been following. This is just like what John tells us, I think, in John chapter 10, where my sheep hear my voice and they know me. We see that Mary Magdalene, she's a true disciple. And she is so overwhelmed with relief, with joy. I'm so grateful this is not the end of the story where Jesus is dead. He's alive. And scholars tell us that at this point she probably fell to her knees. And she grabbed onto Jesus' legs and she's holding on to him. And look at what Jesus says to her. In verse 17. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Now, let me ask you something. Am I the only one that thinks this response is kind of harsh from Jesus? The first time I read this passage of Scripture was in the King James Version of the Bible. And I think several of you probably have that English version in front of you. And as you're looking at that passage of Scripture, it's not interpreted as, do not hold on to me. 
The King James Version says, touch me not. In fact, Jesus, here's this disciple who's so overwhelmed. I'm so grateful that, that you're alive, Jesus. Don't ever leave me anymore. And Jesus says, don't touch me. That sounds harsh to me when I read that. And it's kind of confusing because if we were to continue to read in John 20, he tells Thomas, touch me. Touch my hands where the nail prints were. Touch my side. And then if we were to read in the Gospel of Matthew, the account of the resurrection, there's other women at the tomb and they touch Jesus and he doesn't rebuke them. But for some reason with Mary Magdalene, he says, don't hold on to me. What's going on here? Well, when we look at this phrase that's translated, touch me not, or do not hold on to me, what Jesus is literally saying to Mary is, don't cling to me. Don't fasten yourself to me. Don't stick to me like Velcro. You can't hold on to me like this, Mary. Because Mary's saying, I thought that was the end, Jesus. I thought you were dead, but now you've been raised from the dead. And we're going to get to go back to how things were. You're going to join the disciples. You're going to keep teaching us. You're going to be right here with us, Jesus. I don't want to be alone anymore. Don't leave me. What once was lost has now been found. Thank you, Jesus. And he's like, you can't hold on to me, Mary. Don't hold on to me. For I have not ascended to the Father yet. But go and tell my brothers that I will ascend to your father, to to my father and to your father, to my God and to your God. You can't hold on to me. I've got to ascend to the father. So this ascension aspect, it's very important. But it's something that we don't talk about much. We mention it. We, we spend a lot of time focusing in on the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, which we should, by the way. But we kind of talk about the ascension of Christ, and then we just keep going with the Gospels. In fact, this is how it typically looks when we're talking about the Gospel message. Jesus was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect, sinless life, teaching us about the kingdom. He died on the cross to save us from our sins. He was dead, he was buried, and he rose from the grave. Hallelujah. And we stop. And as powerful as those truths are, don't get me wrong, they're powerful. But that's not the end of the story. In fact, we just recited the Apostles' Creed just a few moments ago. On the third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and he ascended at the right hand of the Father. This is a big deal in Scripture. So, why is it such a big deal? I mean, it's such a big deal that the first apostle, the apostle to the apostles, Mary Magdalene, the first message that she's supposed to deliver to the disciples is, tell them that I'm going to ascend to the Father. That's the first message. It's assumed that she's going to tell Jesus that that he was resurrected. It's kind of an assumption there. But the first message is, tell them that I'm ascending to the Father. Why is that such a big deal? Now, Mary didn't understand all those details at that point. Neither did the disciples. 
But we have the blessing of hindsight, but more importantly, we have the blessing of the Holy Spirit who interprets the Scripture for us and helps us to understand how important this aspect of the ascension is. Why is it so important? Well, the Scripture tells us that this is the time of the, the kind of like the coronation ceremony for Jesus. This is where he throws off all the limitations of time and space, and he enters back into eternity. He goes back to heaven in all of his glory. And if we look at some key passages of Scripture, we see what happens when Jesus enters into all of his glory. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8. By the way, we spent a lot of time in Ephesians before this summer, didn't we? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8, Paul says, When he, meaning Jesus, ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. So when Jesus ascended, he was like the conquering king, dragging behind him the captives and giving people gifts. That's part of Jesus in all of his glory. Question for you, who are these captives that he's dragging through heaven? It's all the demonic forces that have been troubling the people of God throughout history. He's dragging them behind him. Can you imagine what that meant to Mary Magdalene once the Holy Spirit helped her to understand what was taking place? In fact, an interesting tidbit, Mary Magdalene, she ended the rest of her life in Ephesus, where Ephesus chapter 4, verse 8, the letter to the Ephesians, went to. I have no idea if she was there in church that Sunday when Paul's letter to Ephesus was read, but isn't it a coincidence that the first message that she has to share with anyone is Jesus is ascending to the Father. Someone who had lived a part of her life as being possessed by demons. Can you imagine when she got a hold of that truth? That Jesus, when he goes back to heaven, he's dragging behind him those seven demons that had bothered me for so long, and now I'm free. Jesus, in all of his glory, enters into heaven. What happened on that, at that time, folks, is that Jesus was announcing to all of the demons in the universe, you are doomed. You cannot control my people anymore end of the story is Jesus coming in all of his glory. But Ephesians 4.8 also says that he was giving out gifts. What specific gift? The specific gift John tells us, I think it's in John 14, that he's going to give us the Holy Spirit. In fact, he tells his disciples that I must go away and he will come. And he's going to lead you into all truth. I know, Mary Magdalene, that you want me to continue as your teacher. But I'm going to send the teacher to you. When I enter into all my glory, I'm taking these captives, but I'm also sending the gift of the Holy Spirit so that you'll understand more about the kingdom of God. And he's going to empower you to live the Christian life. And he's even going to give you all of these gifts and talents to work within the body of Christ that Chaplain Cook's going to be telling us about next week. And how we all fit together in the body of Christ, doing ministry. 
Jesus in all of his glory. It means that he enters into, king, into heaven as the conquering king. Mary, you've got to let go of me because I've got to ascend into heaven as the conquering king. The scripture also tells us, though, in the book of Hebrews, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Christ ascended into heaven not only as the conquering king, but entering into all of his glory means he takes on the role of the high priest. Now, who's the high priest? On earth, he was the one bringing animals' blood into the Holy of Holies to atone for the sins of the people. In heaven, Jesus brought his own blood into the Holy of Holies. That once and for all sacrifice for our sins. We are forgiven because Jesus is our high priest. But that role of the high priest goes even further than that. I know it's hard to imagine. But he is still in heaven right now. In all of his glory serving as a representative of God's people. As the God man. You see the high priest represented God's people here on earth. When he spoke, he spoke on behalf of the people. When he acted, he acted on behalf of the people. So get a hold of this, because this is kind of life-changing stuff here, whether I'm a skilled closer or not. The Scripture, and when we get, when we get a hold of this truth, this will change your daily life. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have an advocate, a representative in heaven right now, standing in between you and God. You know what that means? That when God hears you, He hears Jesus. When God sees you, He sees Jesus. Jesus is like this filter. And you are accepted because of that representative. You are accepted by a holy God because He is our high priest. That's part of the end of the story. Christ in all of his glory. He's the conquering king when he ascended into heaven. When he's ascended into heaven, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. And he is now serving as our high priest. But it's even more than that. If you can get a hold of that. Mary, don't hold on to me. For I must ascend to the Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Listen to what John tells us in John 14 about the ascension. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Go with me back to the tomb. Go with me back in your mind's eye to Mary Magdalene. She's at the tomb. Peter and John have left, and she's crying. 
She staked it all on Jesus. Everything. And she thinks he's dead. I think that's the textbook definition of a heart being troubled. She feels alone. And then, a few moments later, Jesus is back. He's alive. And she's like, don't ever leave me again. Don't ever leave me again. I don't want to ever feel that again. I don't want to be alone, Jesus. I need you here with me. Mary, you can't hold on to me. I've got to ascend to the Father. Oh, it would have been wonderful if she could have remembered what Jesus told her earlier when he said, don't let your heart be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Jesus is the ultimate prepper. He is preparing a place for you. He's not going to leave us as orphans. He's right now in the presence of God setting the conditions for His people to come and join Him. Because He doesn't want to be separated from us. This idea of loneliness, it's a chronic problem. Did you know that? In 2010, AARP, what AARP is, some of you will know what AARP is in the future. But they did a survey in 2010, and they found out that one out of three adults, 45 and older, that'd be me, I'm, I'm starting that, I'm 45, 45 and over, one out of three reported being chronically that means on a regular basis, they're, they're lonely, more times than not. A decade earlier, they did the same survey, and it was only one out of five at that point. Baby boomers are reaching the retirement age at a rate of 10,000 people a day. Sounds like we're almost on the precipice of an epidemic in loneliness. But it's not just older people who are lonely. It's the poor. It's the outsider. It's the one that's bullied. It's all of us at some point in time. In fact, some of you are sitting here right now surrounded by about 200 people. All of you look great. Most of you are smiling. About 90% of you are still awake. Some of you are sitting there right now and you're like, I hear you, chaplain. I relate to that because I'm lonely. I even have my family here with me. I don't feel like anybody understands. I'm alone. I feel like I'm in this all by myself. Mary Magdalene understood. She was lonely that day. I don't want to be alone. I don't want you to leave me, Jesus. But Jesus said, I'm going back to my Father I'm going back to heaven in all of my glory. And part of that is I'm preparing a place for you. But catch that last part. Because this is the key to not being lonely. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. 
that you also may be where I am. Daniel Wareho, he's back with the children's church right now, one of our chaplains. When I read that passage of scripture to him, he looked at me and smiled, as only Daniel Wareho can do. And he says, Chaplain Wilson, what goes up must come down, huh? I'm like, yeah, I guess. That's good. That's good. I'll share that with everybody. Jesus went up. He ascended into heaven. But this passage of scripture says that he didn't, he's not going to stay there. He's coming back. He's going to split the sky. The scripture says, with the shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, he's going to come back. And he's going to set everything right. He's coming back. That's what we say in the creed every Sunday. The end of the story is Christ in all of his glory. What does that mean? That means that John wrote about this, as well as the first 20 chapters, and then also in chapter 21. So that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that by believing on him that we might have life in his name. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? It means to believe that Jesus came as the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. It means that Jesus performed those seven miracles that are, we read about in, in John, showing us that he truly is the Son of God. Believing in Jesus means that we believe that he died on the cross, not just as some type of common criminal, but he died to pay for our sins. Believing in Jesus means that he didn't stay dead, that he rose from the dead. But ladies and gentlemen, believing in Jesus means that he ascended back to his Father, and to your Father, to His God, and to your God. Believing in Jesus means that He's there right now as our Deliverer. It means that He's there right now and He has sent the Holy Spirit to us to teach us. It means that He's there right now as our Advocate, as our Intercessor, as the High Priest. It means that He's there right now prepping a place for us. And it means that he's there right now getting ready at some point in time in the near future to come back and get us. That's what it means to believe in Jesus. Do you believe in him? That's the message of the gospel that we read in John. That's the message of the gospel that we see throughout the scriptures. That's what it means to be a Christian. Do you believe in him? Well, chaplain, I don't. I don't believe in him. Well, it is my job to let you know what's the result of not believing in him. That means that you have to pay for your own sins someday. That means that you don't have that conquering king on your side in heaven. That means that you have to face all of the forces of hell on your own. This is the United States of America. And that's why we all put on the uniform so that you have that freedom to believe. But you need to know the consequences of your belief. I've made my decision. I believe in Christ. Do you believe in Him today? He loves you. He wants to have a relationship with you. You need to recognize that the end of the story is Christ in all of His glory. Do you believe in him today? The praise team's going to come up after we pray. And they're going to lead us in our final song. After the song is over, though, some of you, the Lord has been dealing with you this morning in the service. 
you need to talk to someone about what it means to believe in Jesus Christ. We're going to have three chaplains here at the front. Chaplain Cook, our new senior pastor, he's going to be here at the front. I think um, Chaplain Grotty, is that right? Chaplain Grotty is going to be down here at the front at the end of the service. I'll be down here at the end of the service. I think one other chaplain will be here. We're here for the sole purpose to help you. If you want to talk to someone about what it means to believe in Jesus, we're here. Some of you who are Christians, you're at that point where you're like, you know what? I believe, but I'm struggling because of, of this in my life. You need someone to pray with you. We want to be here for you. Praise God. At the end of the story is Christ in all of his glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this message. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you have ascended into heaven and that you are working on our behalf right now. Not because we deserve you, but because you are gracious and merciful. We ask now that your word would not return void. Help us to respond as you're leading us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. That was this week's All-American Chapel Protestant Service podcast. Please tune in for next week's podcast.